Great to see all of you, and uh, welcome to those watching online. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for the many, many blessings that you bestow upon us. Some we're very aware of, and some we let slip by, but it doesn't diminish the fact that you bless us regularly, even this weekend, enjoying just this beautiful weather, such a gift from you. And we thank you for all the things that you have done for us and all the things you're going to do because your character is that you're good and that you love to give good gifts. So we just want to say thank you. Father, we also are people who are in need. We're needy people. It's hard to admit that at times. We want to come across as confident and capable, but we've all been and perhaps right now are in places where we're keenly aware That this life that we live is bigger than us. We're not in control. We make decisions. We do the best we can with the information that we have. But God, we're so thankful that we can be in relationship with the one who is in control. Who is able to work all things for good. We go through things that seem far from good to us. And they can be very painful and difficult. And you know that. And we don't understand all the reasons why. But in the end, we can turn to you and say, Father, we choose to trust you because you're our Father. You're a Father who loves his kids. And you've made a way through your son Jesus for us to be adopted into your forever family. And we're so grateful for that. So give us fresh perspective today. Whatever it is we're facing, whatever it is we're going through, may we look to you as our Father and find from you everything that we need. So those, Lord, that would like to maybe be here in person but can't for whatever reason, uh, those who are going through difficult times, Lord, I just pray that you might grant them peace and strength in whatever it is that they're facing. Lord, we pray for our senior high students who are away this weekend. Father, pray that you would be doing a work in their hearts, connecting them in relationships with each other as friends, and and Lord, just allowing your word and your spirit to, to move, to continue to transform and form them uh, into the image of your son. Pray for staff and especially for Pastor Tyler as he's speaking, Lord, just use him, but we pray for safety as they travel home as well. Thank you for this opportunity we have to look at your word as we walk through this series and, and learn from you, Jesus. Teach us how to pray because we need to not just say words, we need to really understand what it is that we're saying and why we're saying it. So Lord, we come to you the ultimate teacher, and we thank you that you have something for us today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So before we get into our time together this week, I don't know how many of you know, but we do have a Davisville softball team and a church league that plays, and so it was uh, great to see them get started, and they beat, I think, the best team earlier on this week, and they had a couple losses. Friday night was a thriller, down 12-0, came back, tied the game, went into extra innings, so it uh, it was a blast. So it was really fun. Still lost, but you know, (laughs) the effort was there. So uh, it was good. It's a good time. What's that? Yeah, right. (laughs) There was one of the guys who was playing in that game. So anyway, so if you're uh, interested, you can always just call the office if you want to just go and cheer cheer the guys on. They usually play at Mundock Field, which I think is in Dresher, I believe. So that's the field for the teams. And uh, you'd be welcome to come along and check it out if you'd like to do that. We're in a series called Teach Us to Pray, and uh, last week we talked about our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
we were encouraged to remember who it is that we're talking to. When we pray, it's important for us to remind ourselves. We may assume, I know who I'm talking to. But to ponder and think about who is this God that I'm addressing and what is it about him that's significant. It's the God of the universe, but we don't have to hide in a back room in fear of him. We can approach him. We're invited as kids to come to him because of Jesus and because of what Jesus did for us. We have access. And it's hard to picture that at times, but this is one of the pictures that come to me, and all of them fall short. But if you can remember back long enough, or maybe you've seen these pictures online, President John F. Kennedy was the youngest elected president that we've ever had. And uh, we have some great pictures of him with his son, John Jr., in the White House. And there's this uh, one picture of them outside the White House, just like kind of looking at each other, holding, holding his son's hand. And it's just something very poignant about that. And then there's the iconic picture of him sitting at the Oval Desk uh, or the resolute desk in the Oval Office, and his son's underneath peeking through, right? And just to think about that, there's what we might argue could be the most powerful man in the world sitting at his desk, you know, leading a country, and yet his son has access to him Is at any time. Well, maybe not, but he has access to him, right? And I love the idea that we, too, have access to a God who's never too busy, he's never distracted, and he never doesn't have the resources that we need. Why wouldn't we go to him? And I, I just love the picture that God welcomes us into his presence. Well, today we're going to look at two more your statements. If you have a way to look at scripture, I want to encourage you to open to Matthew chapter 6. This is the part of the prayer that we've been looking at. It's also found in the book of Luke. We've been focusing in on, on Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, and we're just going to look at verse 10 this morning and kind of use that as a, a jumping off point. But remember, the prayer starts, as I said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then what we're going to focus on today is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. And I think that raises the question for us, what is a kingdom? We don't live in a day and an age where that is really familiar to us. We don't live in a, we don't have a king in our country. It's not a familiar concept in a lot of ways. But there's three things at least, minimum, about a kingdom generally that exist. First of all, a kingdom has a, a space or some form of defined borders. This is part of the kingdom and this isn't part of the kingdom. Usually there's, there's that too. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be physical, but we usually think of it in a physical sense kingdom has a king. There's someone who is in authority. There's someone who is the leader and is known to be the authority in that space, that what that person says goes. And then third, there are what we often would refer to as subjects, those whom the king rules over, those who are under the king's authority. Now, often in our minds, we have negative connotations of that. We think of perhaps kings who use their authority for themselves, and they're, they're kind of, you know, the people are almost like slaves to the king, and there's a plenty of examples that reinforce that idea in our minds. But when we think of kingdom from a, from a God perspective, there, there are times that we know, and certainly God as a king is a good king. He's not taking advantage of the people. And as we're going to see, he, he was an unexpected king. One who didn't come to demand and by war take over a space, but instead through service and sacrifice invite people into his kingdom. I remember as a kid, and some of you may remember this too, we used to play a game called King of the Hill. And so there was a kid in our neighborhood who had a yard that sloped up, and we would, it was pretty simple. 
you got to the top of the hill and threw everybody else down. And then they would climb up and try to throw you down. It's basic rules. And if you were on top, you were the king of the hill. And that's how it worked. And again, that's how we often think of it, you know, violence and trying to keep my position and all of that. But that's, that's not really so much what we're talking about here. But the bottom line is we all want our own kingdom. If we're honest, we all want our own kingdom. Think about if you own a home or an apartment, you know, maybe that's your kingdom. You are in control. You are the authority there. Maybe if you're a kid or a student, it's your room. You don't get the whole house to be king over or queen over, but it's your room. You know, that's your space, and you get to call the shots there. Maybe it's your office or your cubicle or your work truck. (laughs) And in that kingdom, we want our will to be done, (laughs) right, above anyone else's. You may say things like, we don't do that in my house. This is my kingdom, you don't do that here. Or maybe it's positive. We do this in my house, you know, in a, in a positive sense. I know a, a good friend of mine, she had a rule in, about her car. She didn't like anybody eating in her car, especially if it was sticky. And if your kids rode in her, her car, there were no lollipops. There was, no, there was nothing that would get, you know, cause stickiness throughout the car. It's just something she could not handle. It was her domain. You went by her rules. It's like saying, in my kingdom, I'm the king, I'm the boss, so we'll do it my way. And the problem is we all want to be boss, not just of a space, but the space of our own lives. We want to call the shots in our own lives. We would like to be in control if we could be. The Bible describes it this way. The prophet Isaiah wrote, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We've each turned to our own way. We've all desired to be boss of our own kingdom. But Jesus came to reveal and invite us to participate in a different kind of kingdom. After Jesus is baptized and experiences the temptation in the wilderness, both confirmations that he was the one who was promised to come, Matthew tells us from that time on, Jesus began to preach his message. And what was his message? It was simply this, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Again, he talks about this idea of a kingdom. A little later in the same chapter, we read that Jesus was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So what kingdom was he talking about? When he used those words, and he always chose his words, when he said it that way to that audience, what would they have thought of? Well, the Jewish audience that was hearing him speak would have thought of the prophet Daniel, a time when the Jewish people back in their history hundreds of years before, had been taken into captivity in Babylon. And while they were in captivity, there was the question of what's going to come for us as a people next? We're, we're captives in a foreign land. What, has God forgotten us? Are we going to you know, be reestablished? What's going to happen? And God revealed to Daniel some of what was going to take place in the future. And he revealed to him that there would be four kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, And then after these kingdoms, and they're actually, when Jesus is there, they're living in the kingdom of Rome, under Roman authority. So after these kingdoms, God reveals through Daniel that another kingdom would come, a different kind of kingdom. Listen to this, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. 
So about this kingdom that they were expecting, God was going to set it up. It was going to take over all other kingdoms, and it was going to last forever. This is what they were waiting for. This is what they were anticipating. An everlasting kingdom brought on by one called, and Daniel talked about who this leader of this kingdom would be, and referred to him as the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Promised One. By the way, this is the significance of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on what we refer to as Palm Sunday. What was he doing? He was presenting himself to the people as their king. The king of the kingdom that God was going to set up has arrived. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to submit to the king and become a part of his kingdom? Or are you going to seek to keep your own kingdom in place? So what does this kingdom look like? There are many expectations in Jesus' day of Rome being overthrown, etc. And as you read the language in Daniel, I, we can understand why. And their way of how that would happen would generally be militarily. It would be a show of force and strength. But Jesus described his kingdom another way. Some of you may know that in Matthew 6, where Jesus teaches them how to pray, it's part of a larger section of Scripture that we often refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the book of Matthew. And in this section, it's often referred to as Jesus' kingdom manifesto. In this section, he really talks about what does it mean to be a subject of God's kingdom, of Jesus' kingdom, and he describes it. And he lays it out for people to understand because he wanted to make sure that their expectations and thoughts of what this kingdom would be were corrected because many people had wrong impressions of at least how this kingdom was going to come to be. So here's a taste. Right in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, if you still have your Bible open, just go back a chapter and you can look right in the beginning of chapter 5. He starts with what we often refer to as the Beatitudes. It all starts with blessed, each of them. There are nine times that he says, blessed are, blessed are, and he recounts these different groups of people. It's almost like he's saying, the king favors, the king favors. If you could think about it that way, when he says blessed, it's like, the, who are the people that are, the king is looking for? What does he want his subjects to be like? This is what it means to be in the kingdom. These are the kind of people he's looking for. And he describes them this way, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There it is. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, just stop there for a moment. So far, if you're expecting a military kingdom to take over, this is not what you're expecting. You would be, blessed are the strong. Blessed are the warriors. Blessed are the the rich who might be able to fund this. (laughs) Whatever it may be in your expectations of what a takeover would look like, these don't seem to be the kind of people that would take over and, and have a kingdom. And yet this is exactly what Jesus describes. He's looking for people who are aware of their own weakness, aware of their own need, who are humble. Why? Because then they'll reach out, as we'll see in a little bit, they'll reach out to their king to also be their rescuer. He goes on, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Not for power. Don't hunger and thirst for power and riches and position. No, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They want to see right done. They want to see justice in its purest form. They want to see those things happen. He goes on, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. There it is, that idea of be adopted into God's family. And then blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, kind of like bookends, right in the beginning and then towards the end, he talks about theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be a part of this kingdom, this is what it looks like to be a part of God's kingdom. And I'm sure that last one, wait a minute, blessed are those who are persecuted, we're supposed to be the ones who are victorious. You're supposed to lead us to victory. We're supposed to throw Rome out and overthrow and we become the top dog. And you say, we're going to be persecuted? I'm not so sure I want to sign up to be in this kingdom. It doesn't meet my expectations. And that's basically exactly what happened. When Jesus comes riding in on a, a donkey instead of a white horse, which is the sign of a military conquering hero, he's saying, I'm a different kind of king. But they weren't looking for that kind of king. And so they killed him. But that was all part of God's plan, as we'll see in a moment. This, as I described, as Jesus describes, is what God's kingdom looks like. It's not like any kingdom we see on earth. It's an upside-down kingdom where the great are servants and the last will be first. So when we say, your kingdom come, this is what we are asking for. I think it's important for us to be clear on this. When we say, your kingdom come, what do we mean when we're saying that? This is what we're talking about. We're asking that his kingdom will be expressed in greater ways on earth. Jesus said it this way, in a slightly different viewpoint. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my kingdom, and nothing's going to stop me from doing so. This idea of kingdom can be a little bit foreign to us, and I'd like to illustrate a little bit uh, kind of this idea of kingdoms of heaven and earth, if I could. So this is going to be fun. And no, I'm not going to hula hoop. Those of you who are watching and wondering where I just went, here I am. So if we could represent these as the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth, right? We often picture them as separate. The kingdom of heaven is where God is, and where God is, there's purity and perfection and all of that. We live in the kingdom of earth. We're on earth, and on earth we know there's beauty and there's wonder and all of those things, but there's also brokenness and sin and ugliness on the earth. And we, we picture these as separate, right? And to a large extent, they are. But in the very beginning, when God first created the earth, they weren't like this. They were more like this. The kingdoms overlapped. You see, the earth was created perfect, and God roamed the earth interacting with Adam and Eve on a regular basis. It was as if his will was being expressed perfectly on earth. The kingdoms almost completely overlapped. But then Adam and Eve choose to go against what God had told them. They rebel against the king. And all of a sudden, there's a sense in which the kingdoms of heaven and earth do separate to some degree. And there, again, purity in heaven is maintained, but the earth is now broken and marred by sin. And yet God wants us to be able to experience where he is and his presence and what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And that's why he sent Jesus. In the Old Testament, it was through animal sacrifices that would cause their sin to be covered. That was temporarily looking forward to when Jesus would come. And when Jesus comes, the, the actuality of these kingdoms overlapping where all of a sudden you now see where Jesus has come, there's an overlap between heaven and earth. And Jesus has made a way for us to experience, so to speak, a little bit of heaven on earth. 
We can be forgiven. We can be restored. We can have those moments when we are obedient to the king, and the king has rightful authority in our lives. Now, we know that's not perfectly in our lives or anybody else's, but it does exist as Jesus has come to atone for our sin, pay for our sin, and make a way for us to live in a relationship. And as Jesus continues to change people's lives and transform them, it's like this this overlap here, and I know I don't have enough hands, overlap continues to move into the kingdom of earth. And it's like Jesus is making little invasions into the kingdom of earth to continue to set up little pinpoints of his kingdom. And that's us. We are part of that now. But in the future, in the future, one day, God is going to bring these two kingdoms back together. When you read in the book of Revelation and you read the description of what happens there, when everything is made new and everything is brought back to perfection, it is as if these kingdoms once again overlap and God's authority is completely established in a perfect way, not just in heaven but on earth. And so it's interesting when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying for a day when Jesus' authority will be demonstrated fully and completely, not just in our lives, but in the world in which he's created. Now, we know that won't fully come until Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom, even on earth, and establishes his rule. But we have the privilege of becoming kind of those pinpoints of light that he's establishing in the darkness, little points of his kingdom now that are uh, going out into the world. If you want a a great illustration of this, I really encourage you to watch the the Bible Project video called Heaven and Earth. If you just search the Bible Project, Heaven and Earth, it's about a six-minute video, kind of walks through this and gives a lot more information, I think, that's really helpful for you if you're wondering about this whole kingdom of heaven and earth and how how they overlap. Some really good videos on that site that I really encourage you to check out. But we are asking God that things will function under his authority in more and more places on this earth. We're asking, God, would your authority be established in more and more places? We would love to see what is happening in heaven and your authority as it is in heaven being established here on earth more and more and more, just like it is in heaven. And that has to start with us. If we've made a commitment to faith in Jesus, then we have, we have become subjects in the kingdom. We have put ourselves under the authority of Jesus. Jesus is our king. We acknowledge that as well as our Savior. It has to start with us. And as followers of Jesus, we are not to not only live under that authority ourselves, but also share with others how they can participate in God's kingdom. That's why we share with our family and friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates. Why we send teams to Cambodia and Bangladesh, because we desire God's kingdom to be established there as well. See, it has to start first with me. Is God's kingdom established in my life? Am I submitting myself to his authority? But as I do that, then he calls me to be his representative to the world. To say, hey, there's a king. Whether you know it or not, there's a king. And he's a good king. He's not a king who just wants to take over your life and make it miserable. But he is a king who says, come, submit to me. Come under my authority. But here's the good news. He's a king who is willing to lay down his life for you. He's a king who's willing to die for you, to make it possible for you to become a part of not just his kingdom, but become a part of his family. Our desire is to see God's kingdom established throughout this earth. And that's why 
reaching out to those right around us as well as to those around the world has been and will continue to be a high priority for us. I want to invite you to an event that brings these themes of prayer and missions together. Mark your calendars, if you would, for May 22nd. Really, really want to encourage you to be there. This is an all-church event. I'm telling you right now, you need to be there. So don't think it's for somebody else. This is for you. It's going to be a great night of worship. Alex and the team is going to be leading us. We have missionary videos from our missionaries all around the world. We have reports that we're going to be hearing. We have times of prayer that we're going to be engaging in. This is part of us coming together and saying, God, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come here and here and here. And we get to do that together. So just really want to kind of get that on your radar. You'll hear more about it May 22nd. It's going to be in the evening. It's a Sunday, and I encourage you to, to make a priority to be there. So the Lord's Prayer is a statement of submission to the true authority and an expression of our desire and intentions to see that authority spread throughout the earth. So when I say, your kingdom come, your will be done, I don't just mean out there. I first of all mean here. But I also mean out there as well. But it has to to start with us. We see that the Lord's Prayer, when we think about it this way, is not an easy prayer to pray. It's easy to say, but are we really serious about what it is that we're saying? Are we really willing to align our lives to fit with God's priorities, to say, God, I'm not about just building my own kingdom. I want to be used by you to help build your kingdom. And yet we feel the tension, don't we? Jesus taught us to pray as his followers for God's kingdom to come. There cannot be two kings in one space. It just doesn't work like that. One will push out the other. There will be constant struggle and conflict until one will win the day. This is why Jesus said that we cannot serve both God and money. You can't say I'm a subject and come under God's authority and yet money is the God of my life. You can't have two. You're going to eventually pick one or the other. And this could be any different thing that we might have in our life that competes with God's authority in our lives. We all have them. In praying for God's kingdom to come, we are expressing a submission to him as king. We are his subjects and he is the authority. And our goal is to live as his subjects should live, humbly, due to being aware of our need for God and his forgiveness, pursuing truth and purity in our lives, showing mercy and seeking to be peacemakers, not to draw attention to ourselves, but to bring honor to the king, and understanding that there will be people who just don't want God's kingdom. We all were in that boat at one time or another, but would prefer to keep building their own. This is just a review of the Beatitudes that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 5. But again, it has to start with us. And so I want to give you an opportunity this morning before we move into taking communion together, just to reflect and to pray. And I want you to wrestle with this question, Jesus, am I really living as a subject of your kingdom or am I just seeking to build my own? And would you help me in this time to be able to be honest with myself, to identify where is it that I'm seeking to build my own kingdom? And would you be willing to confess that, repent of it, and say, God, I want you to use me to build your kingdom. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, he is your king. He is your authority. He is your leader. The question is, are we going to submit 
to his leadership. Yes, it costs us something. It costs us letting go of trying to build our own kingdoms. But when we do that, he invites us into something that is meaningful and significant as he seeks to use us to influence other people to fully follow Jesus. And that is the best option that they could experience. So take a few moments, if you would, just bow your head and close your eyes and just talk to God If you are a follower of Jesus, you are talking to your king. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, then you haven't made that decision, but there's no better time than now to acknowledge that he is the king of this universe and desires to be king of your life. And would you submit yourself to him and ask him to be your savior? Thank you, Father, that you hear these prayers that are being whispered to you. Maybe no one else hears them, but you do. And I'm so grateful that you bend your ear to us to hear us when we pray, especially when we lift hearts that of confession and repentance, recognizing we need your forgiveness and your cleansing. But to be able to contemplate that when we come to you, you, you welcome us. You want to forgive and restore so grateful for that. Amen.
think one of the most important questions when we talk about submitting to Jesus as our king is why? Why would I do that? Why would I choose? Why wouldn't I just be boss of my own life? Maybe you think I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm doing all right. Things are sort of coming together the way I might like. And yeah, there's some things I can't control, but we're, we're doing okay. Maybe that's how you feel. But this idea of why would we submit to a king and answer that question to King Jesus, I'd like to just read through with you Isaiah 53. I mentioned a verse from it earlier in this message. This is a chapter that, quite honestly, the, the Jewish people didn't really know what to do with. There's this chapter in, in the prophecy of Isaiah, and they were expecting a military king who would conquer Rome and set them free. And, and there's this, this chapter that talks about something they would call the suffering servant. And there was debate about who this was. Some people actually thought in that day there were two people they were talking about. One would be the military king, and one would be this suffering servant. And they didn't realize that they were actually one and the same person. And in Isaiah 53, we perhaps get one of the most dynamic and clear prophecies concerning Jesus. And if you ever interact with someone who's of a Jewish faith, this is a great place to go in the Old Testament to say, who do you think this is talking about? Because it's a great question for us to wrestle with. So let me just read out of it, if I could, as we go towards communion this morning. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Here's the question. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Who are we talking about? Who's the he? Who did he grow up before? It seems like this he is this idea of the arm of the Lord. He grew up before the Lord like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. And then listen to this middle section. You can even see it up on the screen. Surely he took our pain. He took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Just different words for sin, things that we do that are offensive to God. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. That's who we're talking about. And by his wounds, we are healed and then here it is, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin, the payment, the cost of us all. That's why we would choose to come under the leadership of King Jesus. Because without him, we are completely lost, separated from God, without relationship we are under the curse and penalty of sin. But Jesus came to pay the price that we couldn't pay so that we could have that relationship and be adopted as God's children forever. That's our king. Isaiah goes on, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? 
for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Why would God the Father do that to God the Son? Because that was the only way for us to be adopted into his family. And through the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. His death will not be the end of the story. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I, God, will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's King Jesus. And that's why we remember his sacrifice. And that's why we do this this morning. Because this symbolizes his body and his blood given for us. The king went to a cross. He didn't have to. He didn't deserve to. But he did it because he loved you. And he loves me. And he wanted us to be in a relationship with him forever. To be subjects in his kingdom. But this king is good. He loves us, and that's why we remember and celebrate today. So I encourage you, if you would, to get out the bread. Jesus said on that night that he was betrayed, this is my body broken for you, for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. And afterwards, he took the cup. He said, this cup represents a new covenant in my blood. It's a new arrangement because I'm going to pay for all your sin so that you can be forgiven and call God Father and be adopted into his family. But the only way to do that is to come through Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us. This represents the blood that was poured out that covered and paid for our sin. Let's take in faith and joy together. Father, when we say the words, your kingdom come, your will be done, those are hard words to truly mean. It means acknowledging that your son Jesus is our king. It means acknowledging that I'm not here to build my own kingdom, that my life is about living for Jesus. And there are so many things in my life that can compete with that. 
that I can turn to to try to find satisfaction from, fulfillment from, comfort from, significance from. But Father, would you remind all of us this morning that there is no greater significance and fulfillment than being your child, than being able to call you our Father. And Jesus, because of what you as our King was willing to do for us, help us to gladly come under your authority. Help us to be used by you in many ways to influence those around us to know this great King. A King who is not a tyrant, a King who is good, a King who is gentle. He's strong. He will accomplish his purposes, but he's good and willing to give his life for us. So, Father, we need help to be the subjects we need to be to live out your kingdom manifesto, Jesus, of being meek and seeking to make peace and showing mercy and being humble. Those are not natural things to us. But thank you for your spirit that you've given to each of us who are followers of Jesus to help us in this journey, to empower us to live the life you've called us to live. And God, may we just make the step of saying, I'm yours. I submit to you. May your kingdom be established on this earth. And we all said together, amen.